Have you been looking to raise capital, going to meetups, connecting with different people and not exactly sure what to do when you're there or what to say or how to pull people in? Well, in today's episode, I've got Neil Bawa, a prolific speaker and uh, investor who is phenomenal at building relationships and attracting people to invest. And so in today's episode, we're going to dive into that and more. You're not going to want to miss it. So let's get right to it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset. I'm Stephen Pesavento, your host, and I'm very excited to have Neil Bawa back in the studio today. How are you doing today, Neil? Fantastic. Thanks for uh, having me back on the show. Well, I'm super excited. You're somebody I've always been looking up to in this space because you're absolutely incredible at what you do. And for all you guys who don't know Neil, he is a strategic and analytical investor who brings decades of experience operating in the tech field to the multifamily game. And after successfully completing an exit back in 2015, he quickly applied his skills to source and negotiate and acquire commercial properties across the U.S., to be able to serve hundreds and hundreds of investors. And that number keeps growing dramatically. And, you know, he owns thousands of units and is just phenomenal at putting together effective teams and being able to, to manage and go out and buy properties for their investors. So today what we're going to be talking about specifically is this process of building a capital raising machine, because it's something that Neil is really, really good at. And we're actually going to do a very special webinar, which we'll, we'll tell you about. And you can find out some more details in the show notes uh, shortly after this releases. But Neil, starting out, what's been the single factor, the one thing that's opened up the most opportunities or led to the greatest success in your business? Being intentional. And that doesn't sound very specific, but it actually is. That's the, that's the point. Being intentional about every single action that you take is a habit. It's a habit that you have to develop. A lot of people will go to meetups. They'll go to conferences. They will find other ways of doing stuff. They'll build websites. They will, uh, they will attend podcasts. They will start a podcast. What I find is that people spend so much time doing activities like you know, podcasts or, or um, going to conferences, that they forget that the most important reason that they're doing this, especially if they're raising capital, is to truly take the steps to raise capital. So what people do is they confuse the act of going to a meetup or going to a conference with the act of raising money. The truth actually is that all of these activities, and I could name another dozen activities, like writing a book, all of these activities are prerequisites for the act of raising money. There are things you need to do. There are things you need to have. None of them are actually ever going to raise money for you. So what people forget to do, they're not intentional about this, is that, okay, I'm going to a specific event, or I'm designing a business card, or I'm designing a brochure. How exactly Am I going to go about the process of getting this in front of people? How exactly am I going to capture those people, right? Capture their information. And then most importantly, how am I going to build credibility with them? So 
I, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to go through this and define intention and I'm going to give you intention examples. So I'll give you an intention examples of a business card. I'll give you an intention example for going to a meetup, going to a conference. I'll give you an intention example for podcasting. What I, and, and so it'll really start to sink in that the one reason why people are not successful, even though they're taking a tremendous amount of action, and I, I really want to say good job for taking that action because that's really the, the prerequisite, is being intentional about the process of saying, when I go to this event or when I do this one thing, here are all the steps that I will take to, to really get to that database, right? And also, people being intentional is also about being selective, right? And, and really grading every single action that you take. So I'll, I'll give you lots and lots of examples on that. But the answer to your question is, be intentional about the process of raising money when it comes to every single activity that you do. And as I give you examples, it'll really start to click in. It, it, it's such an important thing to underline because when you're clear and you're intentional about the actions you're going to take, you can be selective about making sure you're only taking the, the actions that are going to end up getting you there because sometimes people just take a lot of action, but they're really just doing busy work. They're just responding reactionarily to the things that are coming in, coming at them. They're showing up to places, but they're not doing it in a way where they can maximize the effectiveness and efficiency of those interactions with people or having a way to capture. So starting at a, a very simple, simple place before we dive into some of these complex advanced strategies, what drives investors to choose to invest in an offering or to choose to invest with a sponsor in the first place? I'd love to say that it's logic, but all of my years of experience says that it's emotion. It's emotion and a feeling of comfort. So 99% of this is about emotion and a feeling of comfort. And I say that with caution. I actually understand that if you truly know these things, you can misuse them. You can actually put investors into stuff that's not good. So I want to, I want to first say this that anyone that is handling other people's money needs to know that it's a privilege and a burden. And if you don't feel that burden, you're in the wrong place because sooner or later, you're going to end up in a very bad place. So feel that burden, know that you can't put investors' money into, into you know, bad stuff. And then once you're, once you're there, now start thinking about the fact that investors all like to think that they make logic-based decisions. They all like to think that. But what I found is well into the high 90s, investors make decisions based on whether they like somebody and whether they feel happy about making a certain investment. That is the truth of the situation. And if you haven't really done this, you need to read books about how people make decisions based on emotion. So every action that you take about rating, raising money has to be intentional about emotion. And so many people, and, and a lot of people like Neil Bauer is the worst person to be talking about it. This, right, the mad scientist of multifamily, the data scientist is talking about emotion. The answer is I used my data science to research why people become investors. And I was surprised to find out that it was not because of data. Right. So it was because of emotional, it was because of that feeling of comfort that people made those decisions. So what, guess what I did? I actually went back and implemented a bunch of those things, which have nothing to do with data at all, into my business, into my branding, into the way that I work. And that succeeded for me. And so now we, you know, I, we have an investment management team. So we have two employees 
Last week, we had 43 conversations with investors. 30 of them were brand new, right? So 13 of them would repeat second, third, fourth conversations, but 30 were brand new investor conversations in a single week. So a team of two people, obviously, so they work hard to get to that goal, but we, we don't know of anybody else that has 30 investor conversations in a week. Maybe, maybe Joe Fairless does, but beyond that, there aren't a lot of people that do that. And it's because of, you know, intentionally building an equity pipeline. We always wanted to say that projects are the big problem, not equity. But even having said that, having said that, the truth is that there are times when you have too many projects and too little equity. And I never wanted to deal with that problem. I wanted to have this ever-present problem of 100% of the time, 365 days a year, I have too much equity, right? And I feel the burden of that. And that take, helps me take actions towards you know, finding projects or building projects. As you know, I have our company has two divisions and we just last week opened a third division. So our first division is value add. And most of that is multifamily, though we do student housing and, and self-storage as well. Um, the second division is new construction, and we've actually done more new construction in a COVID year than we would normally do in a, in a regular year. And so we've done new construction of uh, just most kind of assets you can think of, even like industrial assets. And then our third division is land development, because we find that the greatest value of all is in developing land. And so we've now built that third division. And so the the reason we've had to build three divisions is to feed this massive equity pipeline that we've created. And all of that came from being intentional. So I'm happy to give you examples of how that, what that means for people that don't have a $300 million portfolio. If you have, if you have, if you don't even have a $3 portfolio, what does being intentional mean for you? Yeah. So what I'm really curious about here is we're talking about having this pipeline, having lots and lots of investors who are interested in and in the webinar that we're going to be doing together, Neil, which you guys can go and subscribe to that and get registered. And even if it's after the live date, you can grab the recording at the investor slash Neil webinar, the investor slash Neil webinar. And we've got that in the show notes as well. When you're thinking about building that pipeline, having people be able to come in and have some interest of investing with you, building that emotion, how do you go about doing that? And how does somebody go about doing that if they've already been out there, they've already been investing, they've already started down this process, but they really need to ramp things up? So um, I'm going to give you, first, I need to do some mindset work with you, right? So let's let's start there. Let's start with some mindset work, right? So I'm going to show you, and some of you will see this, you know, because this goes on YouTube. Oh, actually, it doesn't show that that well. There we go. So this is just a simple business card. This is our business card. And I want to show you examples of this. And don't worry if you can't see it. If you're just listening, don't worry. The, the, this will come across. So intention or building a brand that people like is part of every activity that you take. So I want you to basically change your mindset. So take a look at this card. And so I'm holding up my business card. So here's a few things that I want to point out. Number one, uh, people think that because you're handling people's money, your logo has to be very like, looks like, you know, it's something from a hundred years ago or something that's, you know, that's very old fashioned, old style, stu stuffy banker style. I always found that to be a nonsensical idea, but it's very common. People, you know, will, will create these kinds of connections. So the first thing that I wanted to do was differentiation. So you look at the logo of our company and there's bright yellow and bright blue and bright purple in it, right? So I'm creating a differentiation and I'm creating memory. When I create business cards, everybody's business cards or most people's business cards are, are, are horizontal, right? So they're horizontal cards. So guess what I do? I create vertical cards. 
Why? Differentiation. Everyone's cards or most car people's cards have, have sharp edges, right? So they have sharp edges. So I create cards that have rounded edges, right? And most people will say, well, this is a business card. Its function is to simply give people's information. No, it's not. When I hand out a business card and I hand out thousands of business cards in a non-COVID year, I never hand out the business card on the side that actually has the phone number and the email address. I hand it out on the other side, which states what we do, brags a little bit about us, and actually has a call to action for everyone. And you might say, well, you, you actually put calls to action on business cards? And the answer is yes. And so the yes. big question is, how many call to actions do you have? Well, the answer is one for every event. And they're like, so you build business cards for events? Yes. I spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to fly out to events to teach there, right? Or to just attend them. Sometimes I'm not teaching. And if I can spend thousands of dollars at each event, wouldn't it be useful to have spent $25 on Vistaprint to have a business card that actually states what I need out of the person that I'm handing it to, right? And in lots of cases, it's equity. So you might say, do you say something like, I need your money? The answer is no. I am looking for like-minded data-driven investors that are interested in cash-flowing projects throughout the United States right? I'm interested in having a conversation with you about it. Something to that effect. You want to craft it yourself. You want it to represent who you are. In my case, data is my brand, right? The use of analytics and data is my brand. So I, I, I talk about that quite a bit. And so bottom line is I create one of those for every single conference that I go to, right? What about virtual conferences? Well, that's even easier because you go to the Vistaprint website, you create the card, and then you just screenshot it and then you use it throughout the conference. Now, this differentiates you from everybody else that's coming to the conference because how many people are coming to conferences with virtual business cards? And the question is, why aren't they using virtual business cards? It differentiates them. Now, everybody remembers, there was this one guy that had virtual business cards. Did you see that? That was very cool, right? He had this vertical card with a flashy logo and all those sorts of things, and he had actually written down what he wanted out of the conference, and he hand, handed it out that way. So bottom line is, Something as simple as a business card is about intention, catching people's attention, being, being different, being different about the process that you follow, right? I'll give you a second example. And maybe this is because right before this, we started on this podcast, Stephen and I agreed that I would teach a class about how to monetize a virtual meetup. So let's say you're you know, going to a virtual meetup. How do you get like 10x the number of investors out of it? So I'll actually teach that as a class. So I'm not going to pick on virtual meetups, which are today's you know, way of connecting. I'm going to talk about meetups because obviously I believe a vaccine will be found this year and I believe it'll be administered next year. So the world will go back to meetups. So think about when you go to a meetup, right? A lot of people are like, I go to meetups to raise money. Okay, so the question that I ask you is, okay, so... Um, what are the steps you take to prepare to go to a meetup? Nobody ever answers that question, okay? What are the specific things that you do when you go to that meetup? And these are the things you do every single time. Nobody answers it. What are the specific steps that you take when you return from the meetup that night? And what are the steps that you take next, next morning? Now, sometimes I get a decent answer on that. Sometimes from like 5% of the people. And I look at that and I said, hmm, so... You had enough time to register for a meetup. You took enough time to you know, get ready, 
drive to the meetup. And if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, you took an hour to drive to the meetup. Then you spend four hours there. Then you spend an hour driving back and undressing. So you spend six hours of your life on one meetup and you probably go to, to 10 of them in a year. So you spend 60 hours on an activity, but clearly you haven't spent five minutes on being intentional about that activity. What do I get out of it? And most importantly, you know, the question that I ask people is, so if I had to look at your last 10 meetups that you attended, which of those were awesome? Which of those were horrible? Nobody knows the answer to that. Well, that's because you're not measuring each meetup. You don't actually have a measurement system for meetups, right? The same thing applies for everything, but I'll, I'll give you further examples of how I do meetups. So I don't do meetups anymore because at this point, you know, most of our business comes from investor referrals, you know, of investors that have had full cycle projects and, you know, they've, they've already received money. So they, they refer people to us all the time. So what, it, what I wanted to share with you is what I did when I was by myself, just like you, right, with no investors, and I was looking to build my database. So this is an example of intention. So when I pick meetups, I don't pick meetups at random. I pick meetups by going to the meetup website, looking at all of the different meetups, and then I pick meetups based on two criteria. Number one, how many people consistently attend that meetup? So I don't wanna to go to a meetup with 10 or 15 people, I wanna to go to a large meetup, right? As large as I possibly can. And most people don't know this, you can go to meetup and look at how many people registered for previous meetups. So you go back and you build a database of those, right? So you go into Excel and you build a database and you figure out which ones consistently had the highest number of people at, uh, you know, registering for it. So that's one reason. There's a second reason which is much more important that I've never heard anybody say this. There are two kinds of meetups. One where you go in and a presenter presents and then you network. The second one where before a presenter presents, they allow you to do what is known as haves and wants, right? So this is a meetup where you get to stand up and for 30 to 60 seconds, say what you want to say. I only go to meetups that have haves and wants because when I go to a haves and wants meetup, it makes me presenter for a minute. I am the presenter for one minute, for 60 seconds. No one else in this room talks, everybody listens to me, right? That kind of meetup is 10 times more powerful if you know what to say in that mm -hmm. minute. Mm -hmm. So I only go to the haves and wants meetups. Now, when I go to the meetup, so that's, that's the, the thing that I do before I go into the meetup. Now, when I go to the meetup, obviously I've done my business card, so I already gave you an example of all of that stuff, right? So I've got a meetup business card, and it doesn't look like this one. It actually is red in color. Like the card is red in color with a white background. Why? Red is very memorable, right? So I use a red meetup card. And that meetup card talks about, hey, we wet, met at a meetup. Why? Because the problem is this guy is going to take my card and he's not going to remember where this card came from. So when you design a card that says we met at a meetup, the recognition is, ah, yeah, yeah, that was a guy with the red card at that meetup. So he will now remember me a month or a year from now where he's never going to remember the other 350 cards that he has. Those are all useless. My card's the only one that gets valued for him. Make sense? Now, I show up at the meetup. I always show up early. Why do you show up early at a meetup? You might say, you know, that's a waste of your time. No, it isn't because there's a process, a system that you're following, right? And I'm like, once again, you don't have to follow this process. You just have to be intentional about whatever it is that you're doing. So use these tips. I show up to a meetup. The first thing I do is I go to the, to, the, to the registration table and I chat with them. 
I smile a lot, like big grin, like toothy smiles, because I want them to remember me. And then I always offer to help. And they don't take my help, but you know, they're already set. They've already got stuff in there. But I offer to help each single time because I'm attempting to set a memory. Then I immediately go to the to the the person that runs this meetup. And if there's two of them, then I go to two of them and I talk with them separately. And for each one of those two people, I go up to them and I start out by introducing myself and then thanking them for the meetup. Now, most people do this. They say, thank you for holding the meetup. But I actually do something else. I explain to them why their meetup is a great value for the community. How many people do that, right? So I say, you know, it's, it's phenomenal that you have this private lending meetup. I mean, there's so many people that are now, you know, private lenders and able to get value for, the, for their money, thanks to Stephen Pesavento. When I say that, the person actually looks at me. If you're, if you're just thanking them, they don't, they don't remember you. They don't remember your face. But if you tell them why they're important, why they're important, why they contribute, then they remember your face. And why am I doing all of this? And I'll explain why I need this guy, you know, in the future. So then I offer to help that person again. And once again, they say, thank you. Now they're paying attention to me because I said something really nice about them. I just praised Steven. Steven's like, oh my God. Yeah, this guy loves me, right? So he's now looking at me. And then I make my next request. And I say, by the way, I'd love, you know, if you ever have a challenge with a presenter not showing up the day before I have lots of interesting presentations that people are fun and people want to watch them. I'd love to come over and present. I'm happy to send you my presentations. And at that point, they're like, okay, they don't say anything. They say, okay, because what I just said has just gone nowhere. They've kind of, it hasn't even gone into their head yet. But the next time I say it a month from now, the next time I say it a third time, eventually what Stephen will remember is, there's this guy, his name's Neil. He's the guy that always comes early, always shakes my hand, always thanks me and has a presentation for whenever my speaker is going to be missing. Okay. He doesn't need to look at this presentation. He just remembers that you're always there. Now for this one reason, I make sure that every single time I go to the meetup, remember they have that sheet where you put in your name and your phone number. I always put in my phone number. Because there's going to come a day when Steven's going to be like, what the heck was that guy's name, right? And he's going to go through those handwritten sheets and find me. So a lot of people go to meetups and they're like, I'm already in Steven's database. Don't, I'm not going to sign in. No, you sign in so he can find you later, mm-hmm. right? So now I've already created an impression with the, the co-organizers. I've already kind of connected with them. Then they're like... Now I get a smile by the third time I go there. I get a smile from the people that matter. I'm amazed that there are people who go to meetups for years and still don't know who the heck the organizer is. You're not intentional. You're not doing the things that are necessary. Now, one of the meetups that I tried this tactic at, about nine months from the process that I started, I became co-organizer. Why did I become co-organizer? Because I'm the one that showed up early and smiled at them and thanked them. So they made me a co-organizer. So I ended up with, I don't know, 1,700 people in my database, right? So think about the intention here. Now, moving on, right? So this is a haves and wants meetup. The one thing that you should be doing, right? If you you have six go and spend at a meetup, why don't you spend 60 minutes writing, refining, truly refining and crafting that 60 second pitch when you're the presenter? 
How many people actually write it down? How many people craft it and say, this, this is excessive. I'm going to take this and make it shorter and make it more punchy. What are the words I'm going to start out with? Because the first five seconds are all important, right? So yeah, I, my, the way I start my 60 seconds is, hi there, I'm Neil Bauer. I'm the mad scientist of multifamily. I can tell you that absolutely gets everyone's attention. No matter what they're doing, most of them are playing with their phones at that point in time because they're just here for the presenter, right? So this, these are just random people talking. So everyone's playing with their phones. When I say, I'm the mad scientist of multifamily, everyone turns off their phones and it's like, okay, I want to listen to the mad scientist. This is why I have this nickname. I manage $320 million worth of people's money, but I have a nickname like that. Why? Because I said, what nickname truly describes me I mean, I do more experiments than any 10 other people that I know. So it describes, you know, scientists describes me. I use data science a lot, but it had, why mad? Well, because the mad part is what gets 99.9% .9 of the attention. If I said I'm a multifamily scientist, nobody would look at me. So I said mad and it works. It works beautifully. I have pictures where I'm wearing weird hats on, on social media that adds to that mad scientist persona. So the key thing is those 60 seconds, you have to make an impression to make people remember you at this meetup. Make sure you're boisterous, you're energetic. You must be the loudest person in the room amongst the 20 people that have haves and what's. Loudest, not longest, because then you bore people. Craft your message, deliver it in 60 seconds. Don't pay, tell people that I'm looking for multifamily investors. That's nonsensical right? Say something like, and I, I'll, I'll show you how I end it with. So say something like, I have a wonderful story to tell you about why ugly apartments are phenomenally beautiful. And I'll be telling, showing you that story in the back on my iPad, right? And I hold up my iPad. I hold up my iPad in front of all of these people. And, and, and that's very important because that's another way for them to remember me, right? And then as soon as the presenter finishes, Guess what I do if it's, a, if it's a single aisle room, I go to the back of that aisle because people are gonna walk backwards. You notice everybody walks backward through the aisle. I mean, I don't know why they do that. They could always go through the rows, but it's just human habit to walk the aisle backwards. And I stand there right at the last table, not behind the last table, right at the last table. So to pass, you have to actually pass on either side of me. So I'm like a traffic cop blocking traffic. And then I hold up my iPad there which basically all it has is pictures of multifamily properties. When I started out, they were someone else's multifamily. They were just some multifamily properties I found on the web, but they're pictures. And each picture has a, a, a line at the bottom. And that line says something about multifamily cash flow, depreciation, tax benefits, something like that. It, it was a statement. And I just flipped through that. And guess what happens? As I'm flipping through it, somebody will come and stand right there, right? And now two people are blocking traffic. Right. And so now before you know it, everyone else is there's a guy with an iPad standing there and other people watching him. Something interesting must be happening. Well, actually, nothing interesting is happening. But now before I know it, there's six people or eight people there. And now I'm in the process of engaging each one of those people. That is the process of being intentional. And I'll, if we had another 15 minutes, I'd tell you what I do with these people. But I think this gives you an idea of how you can never do a fundraising activity without writing down your goals and being specific about how you're going to capture information. Yeah. So what I really like about this is that you're going into this with a specific intention in mind. You're going in with the idea of when I'm going to prepare that 60 second 
uh, haves and wants. I'm going to share who I am. I'm going to share something that is very interesting and specific to me. I'm going to, and that it's going to pull people in and, and drive them to, it's actually the way that I built a lot of my network initially. It was the exact same thing. Always speaking during haves and wants, always getting up and asking a question and letting people know who you are, asking interesting question that drives other people to remember you as that person who is thoughtful and curious, but also an expert in other ways. And, and I think it's a, it's a very, very strong, strong idea. And the fact that you've got this intentional way of walking people through a presentation of what's interesting, you end up pulling them to you rather than going and trying to uh, talk to multiple people. I notice you do that when you're speaking at events as well. You'll have lots and lots of people come up to you because you're a speaker and you've said something interesting rather than needing to go interact with individuals. It's a much, much more effective way. So we've only got a few minutes left before we wrap up. But what I'm really curious about is we've talked a lot about things on the meetup side. But when it actually comes to having people in your database and it comes to working with that team, talk to me a little bit about what are some of those key items that the team works on that when you're actually going to be speaking with and working with some of those folks that are in your database, because a lot of people have been going out, they've been building that database, they've got people, but now they've got the folks in the database, they don't know what to do. So what's what's some of the things that those team members of yours end up executing and doing on a regular basis to end up leading and driving people to have interest in investing? So the biggest thing that we do with our database that gets people, keeps people interested is that each, every two weeks, the team interviews me and my partner, Anna. And so they, they, they come to a Zoom session just like this. And they, they ask me, Neil, what is happening in the company? What's happening on our projects? What's something horrible? What's something bad? Something nice? Something amazing that has happened? Just tell us. And so what happens is that when you have a marketeer working with you, and this could easily be a content writer, the, 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 a lot of people are so focused on writing content by themselves, it never gets written. I, I'm somebody that has writer's block. So what I do is I sit there in that Zoom session and just talk about my day. They click the record button. And in, in my case, it's you know, a team of two people. But in your case, it might just be a content writer that you hire for 25 bucks an hour on a site like Upwork or Fiverr.com. There's plenty of great content writers. Bring them in and tell them about your day. And you might, maybe you only have one property, but even one property has plenty of things happening. Good, bad, ugly. You'll be surprised that if you, once you get into the habit of having this meeting every two weeks, the first couple of times are going to be horribly difficult for you to come up with content. After that, it's just going to flow because you're just really describing the life of that property and stuff that happens at the property. And you will be absolutely stunned and shocked how somebody who's a content writer is going to turn something like that into something goofy, something silly, something interesting to send out to your potential investors. Because what's the key thing? People have to like you to invest with you. You have lots of people in your database that actually know you, but they haven't given you money yet. They're, they're in between. They're at the point where it's like, I know Steven is a syndicator, but I haven't given him money yet. How do you get this huge number of people, right? Most people in your database are there to the point where they give you money. Well, you have to get them to like you and you have to get them to trust you. And to do that, they have to hear stories which you might find not very compelling. All I can tell you is this, they don't have to be compelling, they have to be truthful. And 
truthful things are not like world changing. They are just things that happen. So as you describe your day to these people and your content writer takes that and turns it into an interesting email that goes out to people from time to time, those are better than the drip campaigns that I see people writing. Because what do you do with drip campaigns? You talk about cash flow and depreciation, blah, blah, blah. Most of your investors already know all those things, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be interested in real estate. What they want to know is you. What about you? What about Steven? And I never see anybody writing any content about them, their personality. I'm about to record a video on how I built the world's first 22 foot long planter with marble, glass, and, and lights. And it uses motion sensors to light up. What does that have to do with multifamily? But I can tell you that video when it comes out will have five times as many views as anything else that I do. Mm. Wow. So, you know, think about all of those things, pull people's emotional strengths. Yeah. So we're obviously going to have to have a round two, maybe round three, maybe round four with you, Neil, because you're chocked full of so much knowledge. But I'm going to encourage people definitely take advantage of this upcoming webinar that we're going to do. You can register for that at the investormindset.com slash Neil webinar. And uh, this has been so fantastic. If people want to get in touch with you, how should they go about doing that, Neil? The best way to get in touch with us is multifamilyu.com. So we have a website and you might think it's multifamily only, but it's really multifamily and all, all commercial. We also do single family. We do about 25 webinars a year. We cover all aspects of multifamily, everything from asset management to raising money to, uh, to acquiring you know, uh, assets and, and how to hunt for assets. We talk about how to use virtual assistants to do all these tasks. I've 19 full-time virtual assistants. So they all work 10 hour days um, and, and growing that team. And obviously that doesn't work if you don't have people here in the U S. So we have eight employees in the U S as well uh, that are, they're working with these teams. And so all of that information is on this website, multifamilyu.com. We do webinars 25 times a year. Actually one webinar that you might want to check out there is we did it yesterday. We had 500 people and it was the impact of the presidential election on real estate. So check out that one. That was yesterday. Absolutely phenomenal. So good to have you on, Neil. I love talking with you. You're always so impressive and 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 full of so much information. So thank you so much. And I look forward to the next time we get to do this again. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me on again. Now is one of the greatest times in history to be investing in multifamily real estate. With hundreds of millions of dollars literally moving from the stock market into alternative assets like real estate every single day, we're in the midst of a golden era. And one of the keys to success is learning how to avoid those upcoming pitfalls and mastering the process of how to scale as an operator in the multifamily business. Regardless if you're just getting started, if you've been in the game for decades, you've got to join us for this very special training put on by the Multifamily MBA on how to scale from zero to 2,400 units, the three biggest secrets from building a $320 million multifamily portfolio. Register to join us at the InvestorMindset.com slash MFMBA. That's the InvestorMindset.com slash MFMBA. Look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.